Hello, this is Coach Aaron Saft and the MR Running Pains Podcast. And today, as I promised last week, we have our episode with Miriam Saloum. She is a physical therapist at the Runner's Mechanic and uh, is a gait analysis uh, expert. I really enjoyed talking to Miriam about this topic, as I said previously, uh, and you'll hear in this episode. Um, I listened to the, I believe it was the Strength Running Podcast, and as well as the Doctors of Running Podcast, and they, um, in their title, had claimed they were going to talk about gait analysis, but after listening to the podcast, I didn't walk away with a lot about what the gait analysis was, what the purpose was, what you actually do, um, what we're looking for, all that kind of good stuff. So um wanted to do a deeper dive because um, it, it, it kind of piqued my interest and uh, maybe something that I could help you. So that's the purpose of this podcast. So uh, that is why I uh, recorded with Miriam. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I'll catch up with everybody at the end of the episode with uh, what's going on here in the world of MR running pains. But uh, yeah, please enjoy this conversation. My most frequent guest, Miriam Saloom, <laughs> is with me. How are you, Miriam? <laughs> I'm good, Aaron. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, thanks for joining us once again. Um, those who have not heard a podcast with Miriam prior, um, Miriam is a physical therapist at the Runner's Mechanic. Uh, Miriam, why don't you give everybody just a little bit of a of an introduction for those that don't know you? Sure, thank you. Um, yes, my name is Miriam Salome. Um, I own and and in the primary therapist at the Runners Mechanic Physical Therapy Clinic. Um, I've had this business for about twenty two years. Um, I I deal mainly with orthopedics and primarily specializing in the rehabilitation of runners and gait dysfunction. So, um, yeah, I love my job and I love being on your show. So thank you for having me Uh, again. Thank you. I was, uh, this, um, podcast was kind of prompted. I listened to two other podcasts that kind of, they, the title was gate analysis, but when I listened to the podcast, I was like, I really didn't take much out of that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It didn't seem like they really discussed the gate or, you know, the analysis itself or what it could do. So, um, that's what gave me the idea. And I figured we'd break it a little bit more down for runners that, you know, uh, perhaps have never had a gait analysis or don't know why they would get one. So, um, let's just start with the simple definition. What is our gait? Yes. Um, so gait is just a general term about the movements our limbs go through to move us in different directions, obviously primarily forward. So walking and running are our primary means of locomotion as human beings. So yes, um, such as a general term. Um, and then gait can, obviously the science of gait is broken down to lots of different parts and phases so that we can um, evaluate it and and see if some things are either um, uh, efficient or inefficient. Right. And is there something that we are striving for as runners, uh, you know, like in, in other words, an, an ideal or perfect form? Yeah. Um, and I'm really glad you brought up this subject because uh, gait evaluation became, it's really what actually led me to my profession that I'm in now. Um, I, I loved orthopedics, but when I, I started learning how to work with runners and all the things that we could do with gait analysis and gait feedback, um, it really was something that was so exciting to me that it just, I just completely gravitated towards it, um, when I was in school. So, um, and also I love that you bring up the idea of a perfect form and those kinds of things, because I think there, I think when I, I work with clients and even as myself, um, when I first was learning about gay analysis, there definitely was, um, this idea that, you know, form had to be a certain way, or, you know, I, I think a lot of people are very hard on themselves or they feel like they don't have good form and, and they have a lot of, um, I, I think, um, anxiety about having their gait looked at. And, um, I was, you know, that's the first thing I kind of always open up a conversation with is, you know, we're not trying to make somebody into a, a totally different runner or mold them into this box. Um, we're just seeing how they move naturally. And if there is something going on, that's either causing an injury or, um, a large inefficiency, in just, just, uh, cleaning it up a little bit. So, um, no, there really isn't a perfect form. I mean, we have some ideas of what's efficient, but those are constantly evolving. Um, so I always like to tell people, you know, don't be anxious. Don't be fearful. If you have somebody look at your gate, um, there's just little fine tuning things sometimes that we can do that are super simple. 
Um, but everyone moves a little bit differently and they're all for nice individual reasons. So, yeah. yeah. Very good. And then, so, you know, it's, we, uh, as you said, we're looking for these uh, inefficiencies and such, but um, so during the evaluation process, how does that come into play? Yeah. So during, you mean during the gate, uh, gate right. evaluation? Yes. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. So um, it's kind of funny when I started in school and with my different in internships, um, there was one model that I really was drawn to that I thought was the best model to bring people through when they're going through gay analysis. And over 22 years, I really haven't um, messed with that model that much. Um, I thought, well, you know, every couple of years, this is really going to change. And, um, but it really hasn't. And I've been really comfortable with it. So the model that have for gay analysis um, is that I like to look thoroughly at people during a table exam um, and some functional testing. And I like to tell people that's how I understand the internal forces that they're bringing to the running movement. So what is their strength? What is their flexibility? What is their joint alignment? So all the things internal to them that they're able to bring into their running form. And then I look at them um, right now on the treadmill um, and do video analysis and we break down uh, their movement patterns uh, through some software. And I use a slow motion capture device. And I tell people the reason we have to do a video analysis for running is because the phases in the running cycle that we need to look at happen quicker than the frame rate of the human eye. So um, no matter who the person is that is um, looking at running analysis or looking at running gait, you definitely can eyeball things, but to be very accurate about what you're saying, you wanna use um, slow motion video to slow it down and, and capture those moments. And so I look at that video with the client and I talked to him about what we see in the, those are the external forces. So the things that, um, the things that how they impact the ground and how the ground impacts them. So the things outside of themselves that are influencing the, either their efficiency or their injuries. Um, and we put it all together. So that's always been the model that I like for gate analysis. And so I know the internal forces and the external forces. Sounds pretty complete to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, um, when you say, you know, you test the internal uh, and strengths and such like that, um, what does that look like? How, how does you assess in that regard? Yeah, um, so I picked some functional tests that come from some different research that proved to be a little bit more consistent to what we're dealing with and running as far as forces. So I bring the client through some functional tests. I bring them some, through some range of motion tests. I wanna see if they have the basic range of motion um, parameters that they need to perform running. Now, obviously it's always different if someone is going to run flats or run technical trail. Um, these all have different requirements and, and different variabilities and strength that we need and how much distance they're doing and, and their lifestyle and all those kinds of things. But I look at strength, I look at functional testing and I look at flexibility and then I look at joint alignment. So I look at structure. So how somebody is, um, um, how their how their bony structure dictates that they move, and obviously the, a lot of those things are genetic. Um, so those are things we can't change, but we definitely want to know um, how these come into play when I look at their running eval um, or their running on video because it might be something that I don't want to even mess with because I know structurally that's something that they have to go through during their running movement, and so it doesn't make it bad or good. It's just something that we know is part of. Um, part of their structure. So we want to look at the things that we can change and the things that we can't change and what we, um, and or what we seeing during the video analysis, are they a product of what I see in the table exam? Or are they a product of what we see um, as far as um, form drills or, or motor patterns? So it's important to sift everything out um, and see what is responsible for what we're seeing. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you, you had mentioned flexibility and I think a lot of times, um, you know, we, we focus on flexibility as um, something that we dramatically need to improve, whether it's through um, yoga or static stretching. Um, what's the reality? How important is flexibility to a distance runner? Yeah, um, and that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I think a lot of people have the idea that they, when they talk about flexibility, that they compare themselves to somebody that is very flexible. So if they go to a yoga class, um, and they're not able to, you know, stretch as much as people that take yoga every day that have a lot of hamstring flexibility or have a lot of um, uh, spinal flexibility. Um, runners don't need a tremendous amount of flexibility 
Um, so we don't need to be able to do a backbend and, and those kinds of things, but we do want enough flexibility to um, move our limbs through our sport. Um, and often uh, uh, collagen can be um, stiff in some people and sometimes people's collagen can be really flexible. So there also is a genetic um, tendency of some people. So some people realize that they're super flexible. Um, they always have been from childhood probably. Um, and their collagen just has a lot of elasticity to it. So they're just naturally more flexible. Um, and those clients, a lot of times strengthening tends out to be their best friend because they actually need to become a little bit stiffer to become a good spring for their running sport. Um, a lot of good athletes have very stiff collagen, you know, so on the flip side, um, the stiffness really helps them with their, with their um, ability to recoil and, re and react during their running sport. But sometimes the, the stiffness becomes a little bit more of a hindrance where they start to notice they have issues with movement in general. Um, so I try to find where the client is. Um, so hamstrings, we want enough hamstring mobility, especially if you're somebody that does technical trails, that when you start to bring your hip through that kind of range, we're not pulling into the low back. Um, so sometimes we are working on hamstring flexibility. We want enough ankle mobility, especially when we're working with hills that we're able to accommodate um, the ankle motions to ascend hills. Um, but the big ones that a lot of people um, don't, I think focus on that sometimes I think is, is really important is the thoracic spine. So the, the part of our, um, the part of our posture that sometimes can be a little bit forward. So when we're sitting and we slump a little bit, that's the kind of rib cage, the spinal segments around the rib cage. Um, if those are really stiff, which is super common in our population, that really can also inhibit our natural movements during running. So I like to kind of highlight things that people don't necessarily think about, but that they should. So the thoracic spine is definitely one of them. Um, and then hip flexors, because we do tend to sit so much in our either day-to-day -day life, whether it's driving, working at the computer, our desk jobs, um, hip flexor mobility is really important also. Um, so I think everyone is very cognizant of hamstrings and calves. And I think a lot of times we don't hear a lot about the thoracic spine and we don't hear a lot about hip flexors. Um, so I do like people to, you know, bring themselves through some, some general warmups before they start to run in general. So most important things that you do something. So it warms up your collagen. So about 10 minutes, either brisk walking, like jogging, something that really starts to warm up the tissues and then going through some dynamic movements um, hitting each muscle group. I think those are always really nice to do. Nice. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, let's talk about the other component that you mentioned in strength. I'm sure there's some crossovers with flexibility, but when we're talking, you know, um, assessing strength of a runner in this mm -hmm. evaluation, what are some key areas that you're going through to check to make sure that they have enough strength in order to support the activity of running? Yeah. Um, and when I go through the video analysis with a client, and we look at the parts of their gate where the most forces are pushing through their system. I like to tell them, I like to think about their system like a tent. Um, so, and it's kind of the old fashioned tent that you have the, you know, the lines and the stays and those kinds of things. Um, but the idea is that um, our system has enough tension or strength so that when we go through a movement, that there's enough stability in the tent to keep it in a certain position or upright. Um, so, strength in a runner. Um, we need the, the big muscle groups that really help us with locomotion, obviously, are glutes, quads, and especially calves. Okay, so ankle plantar flexors. Um, those are the big ones. Um, but we tend to have a lot of segmental weaknesses in planes that are different, the side to side planes and the rotational planes. So those are those are planes I also check. Um, so a lot of people hear about glute medius and, and some of the hip abductors. Um, and hip rotators, those are things that also can be very weak that can cause um, overload in the other muscle groups. Um, but I do wanna know how their glutes are functioning. I wanna know how their quads are functioning. I wanna know how their, how their trunk is functioning. Um, but I think a lot of times the muscles that get um, a little bit neglected, believe it or not, are calves, um, uh, hip abductors, the muscles that help stabilize in the side to side plane um, and rotational muscles, muscles that, that stabilize in the rotational plane. Great. Awesome. Uh, so, you know, you've, you've gone through how we assess the flexibility and strength of a runner. Um, what type of training should an evaluator have in order to be able to do this type of evaluation? So in other words, if a runner was looking for somebody to do a gait assessment, a gait evaluation, um, 
who should they be looking to? And, you know, if they're looking at their training background, what should that person have? Yeah. And, and that's a good question. It's kind of hard to answer because there's all kinds of educational programs that, um, that teach health professionals how to do this. Um, so um, it's good to look over someone's bio. I mean, someone that works in sports medicine and has had, you know, several courses in gait analysis or, um, or, um, you know, exercise science or things like that, um, because it can be people from all kinds of different professions. Um, sometimes we have sports chiropractors that do things like that. Obviously, physical therapists like myself. Um, rarely do you see a lot of physicians that do this just because physicians time is very limited and um, they need to do a lot of other things on the medical side. Um, so you don't see a lot of, um, you see a lot of um, physicians that work with runners that are very knowledgeable about this and they, they kind of know how to route people and, and some general things, but you don't usually see them doing this type of gain analysis just because of the time it usually takes. They t usually refer that out, but, um, but yes, usually physical therapists, some sports chiropractors, um, I'm trying to think who else might be in that realm, but those are the main ones that come to mind, but looking at somebody's bio and seeing that they've had some education in biomechanics um, and gait analysis. Um, but there's no, there's lots of educate, there's lots of um, academic institutions that um, teach that and then continuing ed. So there's no standardization with it. Yeah, I gotcha. Yeah, I'm actually, I uh, just signed up for a, a gait assessment course. It's, you know, just continuing ed for me. It's just learning for me, you know, so I can understand the, the gait cycle better. Not that I'm planning on doing gait evaluations or anything, but um, yeah, it's, you know, there's online courses. Um, I think I did mine through run DNA. I think it's, that was the, mm -hmm. the course. So, um, mm -hmm. I'll put that in the, the show notes, but, uh, I have not started it yet. I'm actually working through two other programs right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, there's important things to look at someone's bio and reviews and, and, you know, kind of, you know, how long they've been working with people and work, working with runners and things like that. So um, are there any questions that you can think of that, you know, maybe folks should ask up front if, you know, if they're, you know, calling these, uh, these different um, professionals? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I think a lot of people like, so on my website, I have a free 15 minute phone conversation or phone consult. So just so people can get an idea, but I think um, having a little bit of time to ask that professional, that healthcare professional, what is their, um, what is their plan? Like, what is their strategy? What's their philosophy? Um, how do they gain the information? Um, and how do they use that information? And, and how is that useful to them? So um, I think it's really nice to talk to the person that you're about to you know, do the session with um, and get an idea of what you're what they're looking at specifically and then what you're going to go home with. Um, so what kind of information um, are they going to provide you that you can go forward? Um, and I think those are great questions and you know, give them a little bit of background, you know, where you're coming from, what your goals are. Um, those are also very important. So I think a little 15 minute conversation is super helpful. Um, and a lot of times providers, you know, have a, have a place for this, um, you know, somewhere in their appointments. So, yeah. So let's talk about that last piece. You know, you've done, um, basically we're walking through the assessment here. You've, you've had them on the table, you've assessed flexibility, strength, mobility. Um, now you've put them on the treadmill, you've mm -hmm. videoed them and, and, you know, for those that don't know, that's from multiple angles. If you want to talk about that for a second, what was the treadmill assessment look like? Sure, definitely. Um, and it's, it's funny because um, everyone, not a lot of people run, I think in my, in my world, not a lot of people run most of their miles on a treadmill. Um, and I completely understand that. I, I don't either. Um, the, the primary accepted way in our research to look at gate mechanics is on a treadmill right now. Um, and there's good research that supports it. I know there's a lot of things that feel a lot different when you run on a treadmill, um, but the motor patterns that we're, we're trying to gain, we, we can see those, it's, it's, and the research is pretty consistent. We can see those um, just with general running on a treadmill. When I first started my practice, um, I wasn't quite sold on that idea. So not only would I video people on a treadmill, then I'd go outside in the parking lot and I would video them in a parking lot. And then we go on the trail and I'd video them on the trail. Um, so I did my own little, my own little research study just to make sure. And it was hundred percent, the same pattern that I identified on the treadmill was the same pattern I could see 
um, outside and then the same pattern I could see on the trail. Um, the only problem is when you start going over ground, um, like outside on a, on a, um, and I do this with some clients that can't get on a treadmill. I definitely have some clients that are not comfortable at all on a treadmill. They feel like they're going to fall off or they've never been on one. Um, so we do go over ground, um, with some video, but you'll see the perspective kind of move for uh, towards you and away from you. And it's not as, as clean, the ca capturing those motor patterns that we need to capture are not quite as clean. Um, they're very clean on a treadmill. Um, you get the same perspective with multiple gait cycles. Um, so when I'm doing a video analysis, I'm having somebody warm up and get used to the treadmill. Um, but then we're also, by the time we're shooting again in different perspectives, I'm getting views from the back, from the side, from the front. Um, we're trying to get an idea of um, a 3D um, movement pattern. So how people are, are moving through, you know, we call them the sagittal plane, the frontal plane, and the, tra the transverse plane, how they're handling those planes of motion. Um, but they're on there for about 10 minutes. So I'm not only looking at just a couple gate cycles, I'm looking at repetitive gate cycles, and we're trying to look for trends. We're trying to look not just at one movement that happened during one gate cycle. Um, and if you want to know, like a gate cycle is basically when you've gone through landing on both legs. So when a runner has gone through landing on the right leg and they've gone through running, uh, landing on the left leg, that's the end of that gate cycle. Um, so we're looking at multiple gate cycles to see, you know, what is their, what are their habits? What are something they're doing repetitively over and over again that either is helpful or maybe unhelpful for them? So that's what we're, we're looking at. So even though it feels a little bit weird on the treadmill and that even though Miss Your Miles might not be on a treadmill, um, having your gait analysis on a treadmill is, is, um, is very standard and it's also very accurate. Um, so, yeah. I did a assessment um, as part of a, we were out in Santa Barbara I, I've uh -huh. about that where we yeah, yeah. Went out there and, and they did a, a whole assessment on us with force plates and we did a functional movement screening uh which you know you hear from time to time about functional movement um is is functional movement and you can define functional movement and talk about it but is that a part of an assessment as well is there anything you do in that realm to help uh with this you know final assessment yeah, so functional movement is basically where somebody's going through um, movements in place and with, which incorporates different body parts moving at the same time. So um, some are highly cor correlated to what we see in, in actual running mechanics. And those are the ones that are that are really important to us. Um, so I've, I've picked a couple, um, a handful of functional movements that the research shows to be, you know, super um, highly correlated to what we'll see in gait mechanics. Um, so for instance, one of those is what's called the small knee bend, which is a single leg squat. Um, that's, that has really good research that what we see, how we see somebody do a single leg squat um, is also what we usually see at the same time when they're landing on one leg. Um, so obviously I'm not going to say if I see just a single leg squat, I'm, I'm not going to infer hundred percent. That's what I'm going to see when I see them running. But when we start getting lots of things that start to check all the same box, um, that's something during the evaluation I know is going to be, um, you know, something we want to focus on. You know, I've seen this movement pattern in the squat. I've seen this movement pattern on video analysis. I've seen this movement pattern when I tried to challenge frontal plane forces. Um, so if I see a movement pattern that's persisted through all these different testing parameters during the evaluation, um, I feel quite confident that this is something that um, is, is really good to focus on. This is really part of the problem. Um, so um, when we start lining up, so that's why we start to do all these kind of different lines of tests. So table tests, functional movement tests, video analysis tests. Um, so we're all looking for different movements that correlate and help us identify the one or two major things that are going on. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cool. And so now, um, you know, we've, we've taken them through this kind of evaluation. Hopefully everybody gets a good picture of what an evaluation would look like by this point, but you found a discrepancy or maybe multiple discrepancies. So uh, from that point where you've determined them, where does it go from there? Yeah. Um, and this is really gets more into like the nuance of the practitioner. So um, it's funny, I just started teaching a course to teach other therapists how to do this. But, you know, when you as a as a therapist, when you go through these evaluations, um, and this is true for somebody that has even the, you know, the highest um, caliber gate lab for research, or, you know, you're doing your own gate lab in your clinic. Um, 
the clinician themselves have this huge bolus of information. Okay. And obviously we've gone through a lot of training. We, we understand what's, what's going on, but even for us, this is a large amount of information. It is, it is my job or the practitioner's job. Um, I feel to, after we have all this information boil it down to just some very simple parts. So a lot of times, so when I'm having a conversation with a client, um, I say, well, you know, we're going to go through a very thorough evaluation and we're going to look at everything. Um, but we're going to identify the major, the one or two major things that are causing the issues that you came here for, whether it's because of performance issues or whether it's because of injury. Um, we're going to boil this down to just a few activities for you to improve upon so that your running feels better. Um, and that's really the, the main job of a, of a good practitioner is to be able to take all that information that they glean during the evaluation and find what is the most important issue, the most important deficit, because that's what the client needs to be able to focus on and absorb. Um, so we can't come back with you know, 10 or 20 different exercises and three different drills and, you know, this, you know, this huge plethora of, of things for someone to work on. It's just too much for them to absorb. And it's very intimidating. It's not helpful. The research is, is very clear that that's not helpful to anybody. Um, so again, it's our job to come and be like, okay, this is the major thing. These are the one or two things to work on every day. This is how, if there is a feedback or a gate drill, that's going to be helpful for just slightly changing their gate pattern. Uh, again, it's going back to that conversation of there is no perfect gate pattern. What Whatever we see during the video analysis, that is just how you run. It is my job to, if there is a particular part of your running that is causing some problems, to give a very simple and easy drill for you to follow just to change the forces enough to feel better. Um, so the idea is you come away with some very simple instructions that are very doable. And um, in a lot of cases, which is very exciting to me, um, uh, highly effective in a short period of time. Um, so that's, that's really the, the neat thing about that. So, um, right. and that's another thing I like to tell clients so they don't feel overwhelmed. I think it's very easy to feel overwhelmed when you go for a gait analysis, um, or any kind of running analysis. And I think a lot of times people don't feel, um, the other, the other thing people usually open with is like, I'm not the best runner in the world, or I'm not, and that, you know, they're, they're a lot better than many people. I mean, they're, you know, I have runners from all kinds of levels, but even if you're a novice runner, you just started running, you're in a beginner's running group. Your goal is to run one mile. Um, a gay analysis is super helpful because the cumulative forces that we, um, we incur over a run are, are, are many, you know, it's a thousand steps a mile. Um, so we just want to make sure those forces are, our systems able to handle those forces effectively. So well said, yeah, it's, you know, you mentioned that like a beginner runner, this might be a, a great assessment for you because now you're going to start off on the right foot. Same thing. If you were starting like a training program, like let's say you were starting like a 16 or 20 week program for a marathon, you know, it's, it's a good time to have a gait assessment, make sure you're, you're getting you know, off on literally the right foot. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yes, you know, if you have constant injury, um, you know, this is also, you know, something for you, uh, just to make sure that, you know, we can eliminate anything that potentially could re, uh, re-injure you. So, um, and with that said, um, you know, how often would you say, uh, a person should have a gate evaluation? Yeah. Um, ideally, you know, you want to have at least one done if you, if you are a runner, I mean, I think it's a, a good idea just to have at least one done, but if you're somebody that, um, as you start to advance, um, in your running distance, that's another really good time to, to, to get one done. So say you've always run five K's or 10 K's, but you want to take on your first half marathon, um, I think that's an excellent time to get a, a, a gate analysis, especially when you're changing distances or goals um, um, as we age. Um, so I think, you know, um, I don't know, every five years, if you've been running perfectly healthy, you're not having any problems, you know, but you, you know, at 30, things were feeling great. You're getting into your 35. Um, I think it's a good idea to get some things checked out because you, as we kind of get into our aging process, 
Um, and obviously we're aging every day. Aging is not a bad word. I think um, at, as athletes, it, it feels really hard. Age is always one of those things that we're, we're kind of battling, but it's every day and it's just part of life. And um, we just want to become as healthy as we can. And there's certain things we have to do as we get older um, just to make sure our system stays healthy. So um, I think is just in, so even without injuries, I think just as we age, I think it's a good idea every couple of years to get a gain analysis. Um, but definitely as we start to, um, even when we start, so when we start running or we start to advance our distances, I think those are good times to do it too. Okay. Um, you know, we, uh, having come from run specialty background, um, you know, run shops use the term, um, gate analysis quite frequently as one of their advertised services. Um, what is the, the difference between what you do and what they're doing? Um, in terms of what are, what are they looking for? And, you know, is that, is that a valid assessment? Is it something that like, you know, run shop should be doing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's, a, you know, I think about that a lot because, um, and we have great running stores here and it's a difficult position because you're as a running store, you're putting somebody into the one thing that interfaces between them and the ground, you know, the shoes That is the main, that's one of the main pieces of gear for a runner. Um, and I think psychologically runners put a lot of um, worth obviously into like anything that goes right or anything that goes wrong is because of the shoe. I think sometimes psychologically, um, you know, and I, I get it, I get it. Um, so I think it's great. Um, a lot of um, shops do look at people running um, on video. Um, they're kind of in a hard position because um, obviously they're looking at how much movement uh, feet are going through in the shoes on the treadmill. Um, and, you know, in my profession, I have the luxury of doing this really great table exam. And I know, um, I know what the person's system has to offer as far as stability when they're running prior to the getting them on the treadmill. Um, so there's a lot of things that can happen um, in the um, lumbar or low back region, the pelvic or the hip region that can actually overload the foot and cause the foot to go through a lot more movement than actually just the foot is responsible for. Um, so a lot of times, you know, I have the, the, the benefit of knowing the why of why we're seeing some of these things in the shoes, whereas um, with shoe stores, you know, you're getting somebody on the treadmill, you might see somebody going through a lot of movement in their shoe, um, but you don't exactly know the why of it, which is okay. Um, so yeah, it is, it is valid. They're looking at people running. Um, I think running stores are very, are a lot more savvy now too. They're getting some input from the runner. How do those shoes feel? Um, and that's another thing in the research that we see where there is this thing called the comfort filter, where the shoe that may be very comfortable for the client um, may be the right shoe. Um, shoe company, I mean, shoe stores um, tend to uh, educate clients that they might want two models of shoes to rotate between. Um, so they're not always in just the same shoe all the time. Um, there's a little bit of research with that. Um, but the biggest thing too for um uh, for running stores is to look at what people are changing into. Um, so there's something called a minimalist index. Um, so if they have a client that has always been, let's say they've always been in a Brooks ghost that has a certain amount of heel to toe difference differentiation, and they want to, um, this runner's best friend has, um, wears ultras and they wear a zero drop and they want to, they want to do that because their friend is doing that. Um, they can look at this thing called the minimalist index and help give people an idea of how much change they're going to go through to move into that kind of shoe and what kind of, wear, of um, wearing schedule they might want. Um, so um, you can find that minimalist index for you that for you guys that work in, in shoe stores called um, uh, the running clinic.com. Uh, and it's a, it's a great little index. Um, and it might take just a little bit of time because they do ask to look at like the ramp differential and some other things in the shoe. Um, but it's really probably one of the most solid ways that you can, can you can advise uh, a runner on how they're switching shoes and what those shoes can do for them. Um, cause obviously we don't really want clients to swing, um, super into the minimalist or super into the maximalist realm without a proper wearing schedule and a reason. Um, so um, obviously when we start going into the zero drop or the more minimalist shoes, people have to have stronger or more hardy Achilles and calf complex. They also have to have good ankle motion. 
Um, if they don't have that, they're probably not going to be very successful. If they move into them too fast and too much, that's also probably not going to be very successful. Um, so the minimalist index, I think, is super important for running stores to just take a look at and see how that jives with how the client is moving, what kind of shoe models the client's moving into and out of. Um, stiffness is another one. Does this client need stiffer shoes or more flexible shoes? Um, so there's lots of different things that people that work in shoe stores have at their disposal, not just the running video. Um, so, but I think it is nice they look at that, um, but obviously they can't give them all the information, but we do have some other things that they can look at. They can help that client. Fantastic. Um, talk about your own assessment for a minute. What's the um, time commitment? How, how long can they expect to be there? And what is the, the cost? Yeah, sure. Um, so again, the model that I mean, I started with from the beginning has always been it, it took me about two hours to do this. Um, and so again, when I first started in this, I was like, well, it takes me two hours now I'm getting all the information I want. I'm sure this is going to change, you know, at some point. Um, and still, I'm still in that model where the thorough table exam, the thorough gate analysis, this is what I do, because I want I designed the, the session so that somebody leaves with, with a good bit of information about what to do and how to move forward. Um, so the first half of the session, which is one hour, is the table exam, functional testing, interview, and the gate analysis. Um, then we go into strategy. So that's treatment. Um, and then I teach them exactly what to do at home. And then I, I tell them if there is a drill that looks like it'd be helpful after we looked at their video, I show them a very specific drill to do. And they start to do that at home. I give them a prescription of how to do that. Um, so they have a real, a really um, outlined structure when they leave. And that way, if they call me in a week or two and say, this is working great, or I have some questions, uh, we have it all written down and we know what parameters we can change easily. Um, so that's, that takes me about two hours, sometimes a little bit more, a little bit less. Um, and that session is 350. Um, so, you know, it's meant for people, it can be a one-time session. Um, I designed it too for people that come from out of state, which I have a lot of people from out of state that come. Um, and then from there, you know, if they come a year later, I have all of their information. If they come the next week, I have all their information. So it just gives us a nice working platform. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You leave with, uh, with worksheets like, that, like Miriam was describing with the exercises, there's pictures of the exercises, and then she has a prescription as to do uh, three sets of 12 reps of this exercise, whatever it may be. Um, so you actually have a hard copy of everything that Miriam's gone over. So when you, you go back home, you have the reminder, oh yeah, I have to do this, 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 this. <laughs> and, and as she said earlier, it's not overwhelming. You know, uh, she's very concise. You know, she, she realizes that you give too much. There's either the person is not going to do it or it just becomes too overwhelming. And it's just, you know, it's too much for the person. So, uh, perfect. Excellent. Um, anything else I missed that we should talk about? Hmm. No, I mean, um, yeah, I think it's just a really, I think it's a really fun part of being a runner, um, is having a gay analysis. Um, I think a lot of people, again, feel sometimes it's, um, it's going to be scary or they're going to hear a lot of bad news or they're going to, um, you know, there's a lot of things I think that get in our head. Um, and so I hope this dispels it a little bit because it really is nice to know, you know, in your sport, no matter how little or how much you do it, um, this is one thing that we can have a lot of control over and can do a lot of good things with. Um, so I hope it just makes it feel friendlier and, and more fun. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And how can people find you and contact you? Sure. Yeah. I have a website, therunnersmechanic.com. Um, on there is my email um, also, um, you can schedule yourself for the free 15-minute um, consult. So if you want to talk and just tell me a little bit about your background, if you have a question about a certain session, um, everyone kind of asks, um, you know, what kind of session they need. You know, if somebody is running, um, even, the, even if they've been running less because of some injury, but they're still running, a lot of times the video analysis is is great. If someone hasn't been running for months because they've been too injured to run, or, to run obviously um, just an evaluation to get those symptoms better in the beginning is the best. And then later on, you can do the video analysis, but um, a lot of people have questions about things like that. So um, you can schedule uh, the 15 minute phone conversation, or you can just schedule an appointment online. So any of those. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, as always, Miriam, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge. Um, I will put the 
minimalist indexed um, in the, uh, the show notes with the runningclinic.com as well as your website so people can reach out and ask any questions they have. So thank you again. Yes, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. As always, thank you, Miriam, for sharing all of your knowledge um, and expertise. Um, I hope that everybody picks something up from that. And if you're having a problem or think that you could be running more efficiently, um, want to check your form, it's, uh, it's a great way to go. Get a gait analysis. Um, you know, um, uh, go in for an evaluation. Find somebody that um, has a good background with gait analysis, a uh, physical therapist, for example, like Miriam. Uh, that can help. Uh, the show notes will have Miriam's contact info if you have any further questions or want to learn more or just get a gait analysis with her. So anyway, um, thank you again, Miriam. So on to everything else that's going on here. Um, coaching is picking up. Um, you know, this is kind of the transition period where a number of folks finish up their goals and decide that they need a break for a little bit. Uh, whereas others are looking at fall goals and wanting to get started. So if that's you and you'd like to have a conversation about coaching, please reach out. You can find my contact in the show notes. Um, more information about my coaching is on my website, mrrunningpains.com. Uh, so please feel free to reach out. Um, I am accepting some new runners right now. I also just released the June uh, newsletter uh, after a hiatus in May. <laughs> uh, the newsletter is back. June is uh, you know again chock full of, of you know reviews and tips and training advice. Um, so I'm gonna get back to that on more of a monthly basis, but. So June is out. If you have not subscribed to it, again, you can go to my website and subscribe. Go to mrrunningpains.com and subscribe. If you're interested in reading the June newsletter, I posted it as a, uh, well, as a post <laughs> on Strava and on Facebook. And it is archived under the Connect With Me part of my website. So you can see all of my old um, newsletters and podcasts. They're all archived on the website. So if you feel, feel free to subscribe, it's free, uh, great resource. Uh, and I, I just try to put as much as I can in there. So, uh, and then if you have ideas for the newsletter or for the podcast, something that you'd like to hear about or read about, please reach out in whichever way is best for you. I have folks that use, uh, Instagram messenger, Facebook messenger, email me, um, gosh, connect with me through the, um, the website, there's a, uh, a contact page on there, whatever's easiest for you, you know, um, so just reach out, uh, feel free to ask questions, um, or suggest something that, you know, or someone that you want to hear from. I really appreciate that. And, um, but aside from that, um, training's going great. My goodness. Um, you know, Bigfoot rapidly approaches. Uh, I kind of talk about some of that in, uh, uh, in the newsletter, because, uh, you know, originally I was going to do the, um, the brute challenge and I, I had talked about that, but it just didn't seem to work out, you know, that, uh, unfortunately the way things go, uh, you know, it just didn't work out. And as I approached, I was going to do Pitchell as my last kind of big run before, um, Bigfoot, but decided that Pitchell might not be the best replicable course. So in other words, like looking at the Bigfoot course and then looking at Pitchell, I wouldn't be simulating much of what I'll be doing at Bigfoot because Bigfoot has a lot of up and down, whereas uh, Pitchell, it's, it's kind of, you know, I mean, a little bit of up and down, but then the back half is pretty much all up because it's what I just did in my 50K um, a few weeks back because I did from Folk Art to Mitchell, and that's the back half of Pitchell which is basically all uphill. <laughs> um, so uh, I didn't think that was, you know, really what I wanted for my last bit of training, you know, to kind of see where I'm at, uh, test my, you know, um, climbing and descending legs. So what I've decided to do is a yo-yo and out and back on the Art Loeb Trail, uh, which is very difficult in its own right. Um, I am, I've never done an out and back. Actually, I've never gone uh, southbound, I think it is. I've never gone from Daniel Boone, back to Davidson river. Um, so this, you know, um, I've, I've done northbound from, uh, Davidson river to Daniel Boone plenty of times. So, uh, I will start out that way. Uh, but once I get to Daniel Boone, uh, I'm going to probably just hit the, the Creek that's there real quick, filter some water and, and turn around and, 
and head back. <laughs> so um, that will be interesting. Uh, I'm excited for that adventure. Um, I may get a little bit of support from my, my wife and family uh, about halfway. Uh, not sure if anybody's going to run with me for any piece of this, but um, but we shall see. Uh, but um, yeah, that, that'll be my last big uh, kind of push right now. I'm, I'm doing some tempo runs as of uh, this recording right now. It's Tuesday, uh, June 7th, I believe. Yep. And uh, I just finished two by 20 minute tempo. Um, just getting my heart rate up to uh, what I feel is about 85% of maximum heart rate. And so I did two by 20 minute tempo with 10 minute jog in between. I broke my treadmill in the process. <laughs> so I'll be calling them again to get that fixed. Uh, but things are feeling good. Um, you know, moving along, um, I've lost, uh, 10 pounds, which is incredible. Um, and in case you didn't hear how I've been doing things, um, and you're interested, I was speaking with my primary care physician and just telling him, you know, no matter what I tried, um, I just was not, I wasn't losing the weight. Um, and part of it was, was willpower. You know, part of it was like, I, I still liked to snack and eat sweets and probably too many carbohydrates. So he suggested we do a low carb diet, you know, try to get my body back into fat adaptation using fat as fuel. Um, which I know folks roll their eyes at, <laughs> but, um, it really has, it's, it's kind of, made me create healthier eating habits in regards to what's going in. Um, you know, I still eat some carbs, but I'm very cognizant of what carbs they are and how much, um, so that I'm not overdoing it. And like I said, I am four weeks in and, uh, 10 pounds down. So almost four weeks in, uh, just under four weeks, uh, but 10 pounds down, uh, which I think has made a dramatic, uh, a dramatic increase in my performance. I feel so much healthier, so much better. I'm recovering a lot faster. Um, paces are coming down. So, uh, it's, you know, it's been really good for me. My body's really taken to it. So, um, you know, that's, that's been good for me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not one to, you know, toot one diet over another. Um, you know, this is something that I've, you know, I've, I've been suggested by my family physician once again. Um, I've been overseen by, by my wife, who's also a physician. Uh, she's a family doctor. So, um, you know, we're, we're monitoring everything, making sure that I'm getting enough calories and I'm eating the right things um, and, uh, and taking care of my body. Um, and, and I think another big piece of it is hydration. I've been very, very focused on hydration. Um, drinking uh, a little bit more electrolytes in the summer months here, um, like a you know a bottle of of noon in the morning and a bottle of noon in the afternoon, uh, and then you know some water in between. Um, but really, just making sure that I'm getting enough fluids during the day, and that's been a huge help. And the other piece is stress. My stress levels are so much lower now. Hellbenders behind me. Uh, the track season is almost over. Um, I, I will say I, I, I have to, I'd be remiss not to say my son did qualify for the Adidas nationals freshman 800. So I'm psyched for him. Uh, we waited all day. Um, it was, uh, an AAU meet in, uh, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, and, uh, he ran 205 needed 206 to get in. So, um, I'm stoked for him. He'll be at Adidas nationals, which will take place in about a week and a half in, uh, and actually in Greensboro, North Carolina at NCA and T. So, um, you know, we've got a little bit left, um, of his season, but, uh, things are winding down. Uh, so just in a good place mentally, physically, uh, things are progressing nicely. Um, so yeah, I, I know, like I gotta say, um, I'm, I'm very excited. I've been really kind of, uh, hunkering down with the, uh, um, participant guide, you know, going over everything, kind of starting to make logistical plans, talking with crew and pacers and, and making sure that I have everything that I need, um, supply wise. I've already started, you know, really accumulating, uh, some of the things that I'm going to use, um, during the race, um, so, um, you know, I, I bought a backup pair of, of Lecky poles just in case, um, I got a Yeti cooler while it was on sale during the Memorial day weekend. Uh, so just like, you know, really just starting to pick up all these little ancillary things that I think will, will make the race, you know, feel me, me feel that much better and prepared during the race. So, um, 
yeah, and then, you know, I'm really trying to dial in nutrition. Um, I've been using long haul, been trying long haul. Uh, so just did a reorder of that. Um, been really liking that product. So um, long haul has been working well. Uh, the awesome sauce by Spring uh, has kind of been one of my go-tos. And uh, Scratch Chews, the Raspberry Scratch Chews, uh, I just can't, can't get enough of those. And uh, one of my favorites uh, actually uh, also is the Cola uh, Power Chews by Power Bar. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, you don't hear much about Power Bar anymore, but for some reason, these Cola Chews, um, I just I love those. I'm a, I'm a big gummy fan. So, you know, the, there's uh, gummy Coke bottles that I think Harbo um, puts out. I, I love those. And these, uh, these power chews just remind me of them. They're kind of like the old gushers where you get like a little bit of, uh, you know, almost like a little bit of liquid inside them. Uh, it's like a cola flavor. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, but things are progressing nicely. I'm noticing that, um, my energy levels are a little bit more sustained. Uh, I'm not feeling the bonks that, uh, you know, I had previously. Um, I, you know, I think my, my body's actually doing well to not be so carb dependent. I think I was becoming too carb dependent. So, uh, relying too much on sugars and such. So, uh, it feels good to be heading that direction. Um, you know, kind of, uh, to give you a, a frame of reference last Thursday, I did a 16 mile run Friday. I did a 24 mile run. Um, I took Saturday off for the track meet and then Sunday I did a 20 mile run. And I finished Sunday, uh, right down at seven minute pace, just feeling, you know, fit fast and, and great. Like, like I said, I just, I've been recovering well. Um, so I'm, I'm stoked with the way things are going really happy with, with how things are progressing. So, um, and this is the final piece of my, uh, uh, my Lydiard three certification, uh, Lydiard foundation. I'm, uh, trying to attain level three and my training is my final project for that. So, um, that's coming to a close, which is exciting for me. I hope to wrap that up and, and get this, uh, certification behind me. I started working on Greg McMillan, uh, coaching certification. Uh, I, I look up to Greg as a coach. Uh, you know, he has a lot of, of wealth of information to share. So, um, been going through his certification, um, I also am working on a gate analysis certification, as I kind of said in the podcast here, um, just so I have a better understanding of it and I can be a better coach to my athletes. Uh, I'm not going to try to do gate evaluations or anything like that. That's not, you know, what I'm, I'm after. I'm just trying to learn more. And I also uh, signed up for a new uh, nutrition certification. Uh, again, not to try to be a, a anything like a dietitian or a nutritionist. I, I don't have plans to walk down that road. I just want to learn more. So I have, um, more of a wealth of knowledge, more comprehensive knowledge to how to help my athletes. So, um, really trying to dig in this summer and just, you know, learn a ton, um, and, uh, and kind of get some things that are going to help all of my athletes that I coach, as well as give me things to, to write about and talk about here on the podcast. Uh, maybe give me new ideas of things that, uh, I can talk about with, uh, with other guests so that we, uh, you know, we give you guys more information because, uh, that's what I want to do with this podcast is keep disseminating information, uh, to help you make a better runner, keep you healthy, uh, keep you fit and, uh, and make you faster. So, uh, I hope you've enjoyed the conversation with Miriam. Again, I hope you took something away. Um, really happy with the way things went and, uh, I'm really happy with the way things are going. So I hope you find it the same. I uh, hope your running goes great. Uh, I hope you're enjoying your summer, have some great summer plans and until next time, keep running my friends. <laughs>